Hello and welcome to the Football Psychology Show. My name is John Nasori and in this episode I'm joined by my co-host Luke Chiverton and regular guest and former England women's team psychologist Dr Misa Jervis to preview the Euro 2022 final. We'll be drawing on Misha's experience of preparing England's squad for the Euro 2009 final, the last time the England women's team made it this far in a major tournament to see how the Lionesses might gear up for the psychological challenge posed by another matchup against Germany in Sunday's final. Before we get going, a welcome back to Luke, uh, who regular listeners will recall was missing from our last episode, which saw Misha and Wickham assistant boss Richard Dobson talk about the secrets behind a successful coach-psychologist relationship. Luke, it Took a broken wrist to rule you out the last recording. Is it a case of uh, some pain-killing injections to get you through the big 90 minutes today? Uh, yeah, I think so, John. Um, very much going to be following Lucy Bronzer's example and sort of playing through the pain barrier, I think, to get through this one. So as you say, John, uh, to celebrate what, uh, you know, it's been an incredible tournament, Euro 22, hasn't it? I'm sure lots of listeners have been glued to it. It's been, it's been really compelling viewing. Um, we couldn't possibly pass up the opportunity to do a special episode ahead of the final. And who better to speak to than somebody who was part of the England setup the last time they were in a major final? Uh, and that was, as you said, John, 13 years ago in Finland, when of all the teams that the squad could be preparing to face, it was, of course, Germany. Um, so Misha, take us back to 2009. It's an England squad managed by Hope Powell. Um, we were talking before the pod. It, it was containing a lot, a lot of media personalities these days, but really legends of the women's game in England, the likes of Kelly Smith, Alex Scott, Karen Carney, Enya Luko. You've just beaten Holland in the semi-final with a last gasp winner in extra time. What are your memories of that tournament? Um, and in particular, the run-up to what was then England's first major final? I think it was... Um... It was a really interesting journey and, and there were many bumps in the road. I'm going to start at the beginning almost. The first game, the group stages, we're playing Italy. The expectation is we're going to win. Our captain gets sent off. We go 1-0 down. Okay, happy days, everybody. This is not how we expected the first game to go. So we lost that game. And so then we are now we are now going, OK, how do we how do we recover from this? And I remember um, as, as we came off the bus from the game, Hope basically said over to you and um, over to me meant, OK, I'm going to be talking to the players. We're going to try to kind of navigate through the emotional turmoil. There was a lot going on um, individually, collectively and. In a sense, I have to go back a little bit further because actually we've been winning. We've been winning everything. And it's almost like we needed to have a loss to prepare to recover from the loss. But we'd done that work. And so it was about how we then recovered from the loss. Because as you know, in tournaments, you have um, very, very little time to recover, come again, do the next game. So I remember that meeting really vividly and it was about how we kind of validated the emotions, but also how we wanted to define ourselves, what happened next, how we how we were able to learn from it um, without blaming each other, without it all being over, without going into a doom and gloom moment. And, um, you know, we, we spoke about things and we had we had some values that we return to some really core core beliefs you know things like reclaim your power 
Um, I'm, I'm reading some stuff that I wrote, you know, so you can uh, see that these are genuine. Yeah, so this was an interesting one. Action makes the fear go away. Know that you count. So these kind of things were things that the players had written, that we'd written collectively. It's like, what do we want to stand for? So here was adversity. What do we want to stand for? And and that kind of pulled us together. Yeah, and then obviously we we recovered and we we kind of, by the by our fingertips, got out of the group. <laughs> and Misha, I suppose that, that leads us on nicely. I think that that, that reference to kind of core, core values to this idea of of kind of psychology beginning at a major tournament, which I, th- I think is 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 probably kind of un- unjustified, isn't it? I mean, you started working with the team a few years before that, and it and it sounds like actually it was the work and the build up to the tournament that was as important as as what went on, yeah, during the weeks when you were there. I mean, absolutely. It's um, this stuff doesn't happen by accident. The kind of, um, you know, way, way, way back, um, almost the England shirt was was worn with heaviness, you know, by the players. Um, and actually how we then kind of defined ourselves, how we connected with ourselves. We did so much work over the over time in terms of who we are, what we stand for, connecting people, having conversations with people in very, very different ways, making making that group environment really, really powerful and really, really connected. And so so those things count. And it and even, you know, the work that happened, you know, prior to that in terms of other tournaments that we've been in, other games that we've been in, it was a, you know, it's a layering of all of those things. And because the core of players these were exceptional and remarkable women and um i had a great privilege to work with them super smart most of them and they're all on your tellies these days um you can see who they are but they were emerging then do you know what i mean they were they were they were coming into their being and um through that team and through that squad i think you, you can see the people that they have become and Misha, you mentioned the the sort of formative experiences of the of the earlier tournaments in the run up to two thousand nine. So you had the World Cup in two thousand seven. Yeah. Can you see parallels with with the current England setup in terms of you know they've they've had some some heartbreak in some semifinals in some major tournaments in the run up to this, and there must be learnings from those tournaments that they're carrying through, and and, and there must be you know lessons to be learned from that, both positive and negative, surely. Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think lessons lessons learned are neither positive nor negative. They're just lessons learned. Yeah. So I think it's um it's about how we make sense of the experiences and and how we we use them. You know, as I said, when we some before when we were doing these qualifiers, and I I remember saying to Hope, I wish we'd lose, and she looked at me like I was completely mad. I'm going well because it's like when we lose, we've got to do this kind of emotional recovery work. We've got to be able to understand. What happens in terms of grieving the loss, if you like, but actually being able to um, connect together again and move forward, but allow the fact that we're going to be feeling rubbish, you know, but because that's a normal and appropriate response. But how do you then move from that place, take, if you like, the lessons, the lessons of importance to move us to the next game? So sometimes you have to practice that. I know it sounds a bit mad. But sometimes you kind of do <laughs> to feel it, you know. 
I think that's been a that's been actually a, there has been a parallel, a very obvious parallel to that in the current tournament because I think everyone expected the group stage to be slightly harder for England than it was, particularly that Norway game, which ended up being you know yeah. an astonishing result against mm-hmm. what was actually a very very good team. I mean, they you know Ada Hegerberg, one of the best players in the world, and England absolutely demolished them. Actually, that Spain game feels very important in the context of the whole tournament in the way you're describing because actually it was the first time England hit some adversity I was yep. as a fan watching I was very worried that the group stage and all the earlier games were kind of going too well and actually that you needed the you needed the, the the England team to be under the cosh a bit and they obviously conceded against a team that keeps the ball very well and had to really dig in in that game they were they were second best yep. for a lot of it yep. and hung in there and showed all of that kind of resilience that we talk about a lot on this podcast and actually that I think that match is going to prove to be really really important in the run-up to the final in exactly the way you've just described uh, I mean absolutely and it, it and it's like how can you how can you manage to recover your emotional stability almost do you know what I mean to anchor yourself to actually reconnect because of, oftentimes what happens and if you if you if you look at that Norway game if you look at Norway they were a disconnected team they they were not a team anymore they were all withdrawing. They were in their own heads struggling. They were probably in a state of disbelief because they haven't experienced that either and they didn't know what to do. Um, but if when, if when adversity strikes, you reconnect with each other, if you anchor yourselves in this is who we are, this is what we believe in, in the face of something difficult, that doesn't change. That's still who we are. Um, then the focus becomes something different and and it becomes immensely powerful really and i suppose <clears throat> with that uh, the the kind of proof in the pudding i mean that's a very simple kind of cliche phrase but you know going back to 2009 you obviously kind of went through that as a group after that that italy match and the results kind of spoke for themselves after that because um, a few matches later, you, you found yourselves in in the final. Just talk us through that that run, Misha. I mean, to, to what extent was that a kind of surprise for you, or you know, was it something that you were kind of you know potentially anticipating in the build up to the tournament? I think there are two versions of of reality. And by this, I mean there's the version of the outside looking in, and the, and that version was really not interested in us at all, probably. I didn't think we were going to do anything. Um, And I remember um, the press officer used to start putting up the press so that we could see. And it's it's like, oh, yeah, there was that thing happening. It's just women. Oh, we'll leave them to that. And then then as it went on, it's like, oh, we're in the final. It's Germany. British press suddenly woke up and went, oh, maybe we should have a little look at this. So – you know, in terms of rankings, in terms of where we were and all the rest of it, that was, we weren't expected to get to the final. Guaranteed we were not. However, that was not the mission that we had inside the camp. And I remember doing a workshop and I'm, I'm just looking for my notes here because because I, I write down everything that I did. And um, I remember doing a workshop right at the beginning of the tournament it was with everybody actually, and we spoke about the different layers of of managing in terms of expectations. So it's like it's the internal our expectations of ourselves of each other, what happens here, and then there's the kind of outer layer of that, and then you know which might be the kind of external team in terms of like maybe family supporters and another layer, and then there's the bigger layer which is like 
the media and all of these people. And and really for us, it was the the, the people that really mattered and that the people that we were accountable to were that internal core. And so be accountable to each other, you know, be accountable. Um, we matter in, in that space, you know, and, and we had this kind of, I, I remember I put up this slide, which was um, um, countless journeys, one destination. And and that also became our 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 idea because it, it really represented exactly what's going on. All of those players, even the staff, because we were all on the journey together, remember, um, we all had very, very, very different routes to get there, but we were all going to one place and that was the final. And Misha, how did you how did you deal with I mean going into that final Germany were effectively quite heavy favourites, weren't they? And, you know, they, they were a hugely successful team, really the powerhouse of women's football in Europe and actually internationally, you know, globally, really, because they, they'd done so well in the World Cup the two years previously. How did you deal going into that tournament in terms of it was the first time the England women's team had been to a major final and they were big underdogs? You know, how, how did you manage that as a, as a group? I think, you know, I, I remember we had additional challenges along the way. One of the biggest was Faye White, who got um, uh, a cheek face injury in the game before and had to be flown home to have an operation and then come back again. And that, that you know, Faye, if you've ever seen Faye or spoken to Faye, she was a stalwart captain. Do you know, she was, she was calm. She was solid. She was, she was an immense captain. And so there was lots of uncertainty about whether she was going to be there, what would happen with that. Um, so going into the final, we were already unsettled. She did come back and play um, remarkably. Not sure how, how she quite managed that. Um, and and maybe, maybe that had impact. Who, who knows? But really, there was lots of excitement. There was lots of this is who we are. Um, this, there was lots of, um, okay, you know, the, the workshop that I did with the players before, before the Germany game was about bravery. And it was about bravery because I knew these women's lives. And it was under this mantra of kind of um, victory everywhere. So can we on the pitch have small little wins and be brave? But the other thing about it was that I, I knew everybody's stories. I knew their lives. And I knew that every single one of those women had had to have been brave in a much bigger, scarier way than playing a game of football. So in a sense, I was trying to get them to harness that, you know. So even though it's a big challenge, even though we've never been here before the being there was was important as well you know what i mean because of course no one had been there and the men hadn't been there either <laughs> so that was also that's really important for us because we were we were we were making milestones that the men had not achieved and and obviously it's it's amazing how quickly things have changed but you know what was it 12 years ago 13 years ago the women were were pretty ignored you know, it was getting better in terms of the media and noticing, it, but but it's nothing like it was now. So in a sense, what I wanted to do was get the women to draw on their on their inner strength 
because I'd known their personal struggles. I'd known their journeys. I knew it was difficult. And just to say, look who you are, just as amazing women. It was a very emotional workshop. It was very, very powerful. Um, and I was reading through, I was reading through my notes again uh, of what people shared and, and I'm not going to share it with you because obviously it's confidential, but I was going, Oh, I forgot about that. And oh, I remember that. And, you know, and, and so then it, it was about, it's about who we are as people. And, and, and if you're brave enough to kind of share some of the really difficult things that you've been through and still be standing, that's, that's a powerful experience regardless of football. Do you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and you can, yeah, I mean, you know, listeners, obviously Luke and I are kind of l- lucky enough to kind of see Misha on the, on the, <laughs> uh, on the recording here. And yeah, you can kind of tell that that was obviously really emotional. Uh, that was a really kind of powerful experience for, for kind of everyone involved. Misha, you, you kind of mentioned um, Faye, Faye White. Were, were, were there um, and some other some other players that, have, that, as you said, have gone on to kind of be major TV personalities in their own right now? What was the kind of dressing room leadership like during that that two thousand and nine run? What kind of role did that that play? I, I remember. So part of my role was to kind of create the dressing room. So for the final. Um, I basically had, we had pictures all the way around and the FA, you know, were brilliant actually in this, in terms of helping, helping me create resources and do things. Um, so the, the dressing room was, was about music, always about music. And there were always key songs that the players had chosen. I think it was a bit of black eyed peas. If I'm not remember, if I'm remembering correctly, um, tonight's going to be the night energizing, um, you know, they were no under no illusions as to how how big the challenge was. You know, and actually, you know, at half time, I think it was three two, if I'm not mistaken. So it was close, and we'd scored, and it was, you know, and it was possible. You know, we we that that first half was was a half for us to be really proud of. So the dressing room at half time was was buzzing with optimism, actually. And, and the possibilities and yeah, I'm just kind of remembering, I'm just trying to put myself there. And, and also it was about a kind of familiarity of routine. Do you know what I mean? It's like players, it's like the, the, there's a rhythm, there's a rhythm to everything. There's a rhythm to the, the warm up before it's the same. There's a rhythm to how each individual player gets their kit on. There's a rhythm to, what when hope comes in and speaks there's a rhythm do you know what I mean so it's like you kind of get into that that rhythm of of game preparation so it's familiar um it's solid it feels it feels like you know what you're doing and it it kind of anchors everybody I guess the other noticeable thing about that dressing room Misha was there actually some very experienced players in there weren't there it it, it was there was there was some there was a lot of caps in that dressing room I seem to remember like and and also lots of players that had gone over to the US um and kind of experienced playing over there where obviously the women's game at the time was much bigger that must have been you know immensely useful in terms of you know weaving a a squad dynamic of course experience is is really valuable I think again it but it's about how you how you harness that um, and what it says about you. And you can, it's almost like you can see the different personalities 
in all of these women who are commentating now. You know, it's if you listen to Alex, she's very bubbly, she's very energized. Farah's like that as well. Brownie, Rachel Brown is much more anchored. She's much calmer. It is like so. Um, the blending of of who's in the room is also really important. You need you need to have Faye White being really calm, really solid. Don't think she ever raised her voice, Faye. She's just calm like this. So di- different people are needed in different spaces, but it's that it's that blend and and you know credit to Hope in a sense for creating that squad. It, it was a remarkable group of women. Obviously, you know you're kind of looking on as a as a fan, um, I guess, in this in this tournament. But but do you see some kind of parallels between the current group of players and the yeah the group that you were involved in in 2009? Yeah, I think I think in terms of um, you know I don't I don't know them as people in this in the same way, so it's it's really different. Um, I'm I'm seeing them through the lens of the performance. Um, little bits of who they're of when they're speaking and also when people speak about them but you can certainly see how they connect together you can certainly see how particularly in that Spain game actually I think that that showed who they were you know when it's easy it's easy um, when it's hard that's ah that's who you are and and I think that the Spain game revealed them in in more meaningful ways in a sense it's funny you should say that. I was reading quite an interesting analysis of that game. And I know it's easy to kind of do this kind of analysis after an event. And we've spoken with you before around how you can interpret any kind of setup or things that happen in whichever way you decide really as, a, as an observer. But there was, I, I thought the one thing you said there about in adversity, you either kind of sit there and, and deal with it yourself or you come together and rely on your teammates to kind of get you through it. And there was a very noticeable thing that one person had observed in that Spain game around the water breaks. The team came together. Nobody was ref- you know, taking on refreshment and, 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 and processing things themselves. It was very much done in groups and together. And, and that was how they dealt with, dealt with the adversity that we discussed. So there have been some interesting kind of little things in that squad which give you a little bit of a feel for, for the psychological character that, 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 they, that they've got. Well, some of those also will be strategies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like exactly. we, we certainly worked on strategies. You know, when the, when I, I remember really small things like it's really hard for a goalkeeper to, to sometimes pick their, pick the ball out of their net. And, and so someone else will go and do it if someone, if, if they've been the school against, or how do you connect? No, connecting differently. Sorry. Um, so when you have scored, you are more vulnerable the counter so then after you've scored yes here's this emotion here it is bubble 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 hi great 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 but actually that's not helpful so how do you calm it down so the roles in terms of who would be doing the calming Casey Stoney was great at that she used to just you know and and we kind of work out strategies and she would just calm people down and Faye was really good at doing it as well so it's like yes you've scored the goal and 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 oftentimes it's the forward players who are very energized and who are scoring the goals but actually now 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 have that reset and then let's come again so um those moments of connection are are really really powerful and and sometimes sometimes you might see teams manufacturing them for really good reason um, because it's like they might be feeling that they need they need just to kind of breathe for a minute. They just need to 
connect with each other and go, okay, we've, have we have we got this? This is hard, but we've got this, you know, or whatever they they need to be doing those small small adjustments. And, and I suppose you'll find sometimes that a team's identity, to some extent, is kind of formed from the identity of their their manager. Um, and I think you could kind of see that in, in in this group of players to some extent. What what was it like? Kind of going back to two thousand and nine, Misha working with someone like Hope Powell. How did how did kind of her personality kind of imprint itself on the on the team and the group? Um, I think you know she was a very well. She still is probably <laughs> a very um, determined, hardworking, energizing individual, um, and. I think that she, you know, she was good at giving the players purpose. This is what we're about. This is why we're doing it. And, you know, she achieved remarkable things for the women's game when nobody wanted to pay attention. And she had to work so hard for that. And I think that the, you know, I mean, this is a small thing, but I remember this so clearly. The first game that the women got their names put on their shirts. Now you'll think, what? So before, the women's shirts were just numbered shirts. And the first time we played a game with the with the names on the back of their shirts was immense. Immense. And suddenly, ah, the women have names. They are, they're, they're, they are people. And I know that Hope fought really hard for all of those things, which was so important, you know, where we are now could not have happened without all of her hard work uh, undoubtedly not so um she is she is to be um recognized for, for all of that um it, it's a kind of cliche isn't it but it's like you know that thing of we stand on the shoulders of giants well i think the giants are actually all of those people from 2009 and and, and we see them I'd certainly agree with that because, you know, I'll put my hands up to saying I didn't really follow women's football probably before the Hope Powell era. But she, as you say, me, she was massively at the vanguard. And in my head, like that, that's what I associate with the, you know, her, her face and, and all the things she, and how well she spoke and all of that. I, I remember that so clearly. And it was one of the things that kind of got me into it, I think, all that time ago. So, yeah, you're definitely right. Going back to Beekman, um, John John talked a bit around her influence on the team, and um, I sent John a snippet from a, an article uh, the other day, Misha, that, and I'm going to read it to you uh, verbatim because it was a quote that I thought you would really, really like, and she was sort of talking about her experience of as, as a player for Holland um, and how she's brought that into her into her into her career as a manager, and, and this is the quote. So she said. As I grew in my personality, I really wanted to be more relaxed. Why do players start playing football when they're seven years old? It's because they love the game. Yes, it's all about winning, but you perform better when you can be yourself and when you're in an environment where you're safe, where you will not be judged. Because when you're on a pitch, you're being judged all the time and that's uncomfortable and unsafe. And I just kind of read that quote and I was like, that just encapsulates A, a lot of what we talk about, but B... I think you can really see that in in the team. And I know, you know again, yeah. it's easy to sit back and say, yeah, oh, yeah, I can see that now that I've heard you say it. But that I just thought that described exactly what I've observed about this tournament um, all the way through. Yeah, I mean, it's when you're in an environment, you know, uh, uh, that that is a is a threat organised environment, i.e. there's threats to you as a player. Will you make the squad? There's threats to you as, you know, what will the what will the outcome be? There'll be threats to you in terms of people judging you. And um, then to try and create a place of safety, security, 
that internal world because because in the end it's really that internal world that that makes all the difference is is absolutely huge and and to try and ensure that everyone is is allowed to be themselves and nobody has to be you know this person this person and and, and as you can see you know and I'm talking about the kind of the different characters in from 2009 it's like they were who they were and without them being themselves you wouldn't have got this really nice blend you you need that blend of difference and clearly she's she's understanding that and she's recognizing that um that if you can't come into the dressing room and it be a safe place my goodness me so for 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 me for for managers who make the dressing room not a safe place not a good idea it's it's funny as well because the thing i thought that it, it's very easy thing to say but i i that alicia russo goal where she kind of backhilled yeah, it yeah brilliant i was just thinking that that was so so um symbolic of a group of players who, who are able to express themselves like 90 99 times out of 100 that wouldn't come off and in a fear environment you might think oh somebody's going to give me a bit of a bollocking for trying something ridiculous but mm-hmm. it just felt like you know to have the to be empowered to to go and express yourself and instinctively try something like that and not worry about the consequences again that just you know goes back to all of that stuff you were just saying doesn't it no, no, completely. Because uh, creativity happens with 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 freedom. Do you know what I mean? It's like exactly, creativity. Yeah. If you're scared, if you're fearful, if you're judged, you're gonna, you know, literally play it safe. You're gonna do. I'm just gonna do what I'm told. I'm just gonna. Well, nothing, nothing exceptional comes from that. So again, it's like, and, and if it hadn't come off, would it have mattered? No. The fact that she was gonna try it. It is the important bit. It's it's the action of give it a go. Let's see. Oh, you know, that split second of I'll do this without worrying about what the consequences were. Because even if it even if the goalkeeper might have not been nutmegged, <laughs> it was still an audacious way to try and score a goal. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's there's no shame in what she did either way. It was a it was a thing, it was a bold boldness. And, and maybe that's what um, Serena's doing. She's emboldening her players. She's she's empowering them. She's going, yes, you can show me. What is it? Let me see. It looks like this, and that, and that's and that's what you see, which is which is great. Misha, I was really interested by something you said earlier on in our our chat when you talked about um, the England shirt being worn with heaviness, and I think. So that's a comment I think that a lot of people, um, potentially mine and Leek's generation, will, will recognise having kind of witnessed, uh, certainly kind of in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of men's teams kind of struggle with that kind of undefinable baggage that comes with playing or came with playing for, for England. I, just out of interest, did that at all kind of translate uh, onto the kind of women's team? Was that, again, that kind of, slightly indefinable you know baggage there when when you started working with them definitely I mean I remember I did I'm trying to look through my I've been um scrabbling through my old notebooks going oh I remember I did that oh I remembered I did that one of the earliest bits of work I did oh here it is um and this was really ages ago um this was this was in I don't know like 2004 or something right and I wanted to get a sense of what they believed about themselves and what they believed about other people 
other teams and how they how they in a sense were empowering other teams and and the words that came up from other teams um because this 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 is like my starting point to kind of go oh you think that about yourself and you think really differently about everyone else um yeah the words for the words for germany were interesting there was a long long list of beliefs about germany in terms of so so i i had these two kind of lists it's like empowering and limiting so what are the limiting beliefs we have about them and what are the empowering well the limiting beliefs for germany believe you me i'm looking at this list it's long it's long and 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 so the thing is is that if you don't acknowledge that if you don't have a starting point to try and go okay well what does this then what does this then translate into how we do things what how we see ourselves and that i think was the beginning point of of some of that work that i did to try and get people to kind of well view themselves differently you know and and what are our beliefs about ourselves and how do we harness these what do we stand for um and yes that was yeah that was <laughs> that was a useful that was a useful bit of aha moment but had we not in a sense done that it's and and not challenged those limiting views i mean we did it for finland norway sweden all the countries in the euros um if we didn't sort of start to ask questions about that then it's like you you invisibly take that baggage onto the pitch or but rather than kind of going oh that's what we think oh that's quite tricky isn't it that's that's not going to be helping us so what do we do how do we how do we shift that how do we change that i mean i mean Misha actually talking about taking baggage onto the pitch there was a there was a question that i was really keen to ask you about and and it's very unique i think to the women to women's football and and that's the all the stuff you're describing there around um the limiting factors around looking at the team you're about to play that that equally applies to the men's game the women's game and probably any sport doesn't it like you're thinking about your opponent of course um and that's putting that's putting certain psychological reactions in, into your mind. Um, I guess you've also got all of the standard kind of pressure that comes with playing in a big in a big match, particularly a final. Again, that's that's the same across any sport, across any setting, where the pressure you feel the pressure of, of kind of being there to win that tournament. The thing I feel that's quite unique to to women's football is that on top of all of that normal stuff and all of the normal pressures, there's kind of this feeling around. The pressure of legacy is what I, what I always think, and and it's kind of that thing where it's like, right, you've got to go onto the pitch, you've got this massive like expectation to win this tournament, but you've also got a whole generation of young girls at home that are looking to you to kind of lead the way and encourage them to kind of get into football. And I kind of think it was already a difficult ask to to kind of go and win a major tournament, but now you're saying that like there's you know literally hundreds of thousands of people and it and their futures are in your hands. How, how do in your experience how do how do uh, female footballers kind of cope with that because I think uh, in the interviews I've watched they do all seem very aware of it so I don't think it's something that they just kind of brush under the carpet and kind of pretend isn't there I think they they embrace it and they're proud of it but it but it must create um quite unique dynamics for them I think it's um it, it's interesting how how you wear that do you know what I mean yeah in terms of whether you whether you feel like it, it weighs you down or whether you go um here look we're just we were you too you know i i was you i was a seven-year-old kid who was watching alex scott you know and uh 
actually I remember Jill Scott Jill because Jill was actually part of the 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 2009 squad and she was really really young and really and now she's this great um, ambassador for the sport sorry I digress um come back to the question Misha um so I think I think again it's it's where people have had to fight hard for things that they that they value the achievement because they realize that they are they are changing things you know you see you see it in terms of people who are from different ethnicities where whereby it's like i'm representing my community in a very powerful way and they feel that that is also you know um part of the story so the the expectations when you're actually in the tournament, when you're doing it, when you're preparing for a game, you can't get your head into that space. It's not helpful. That's a for after. You know what I mean? So, yes, they might talk about it after the game. don't think they're talking about it in the game. I don't think they're talking about it before the game because they've got to do the game and the game becomes the most important thing. Um, and, and, again, it's like afterwards you kind of – you appreciate the um, – the bits that you've achieved and the huge crowds that they're getting, you know, are not familiar to those women players. They're, they're used to playing two men and a dog week in, week out, you know, that that's their normal. So actually there are adjustments to what does that noise look like? What does it feel like? Um, some of them will have played at Wembley before some, many of them will not have done. Um, and again, that's, that, that's a difference because it's, this notion of kind of hallowed turf and it's special and, and, and what that means. But I quite like the fact that when you're listening to the, um, the crowd in um, the women's games, the octaves are about three octaves higher and you go, yes, there's girls out there. There's women in the crowd and they're making their voices heard. And that's kind of lovely. The crowd is so much more positive as well. There's just the, 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 whenever you watch the men's game, there's just so much negativity in the stands. But it just it's so, the whole event is so much more positive in the women's game. Women, men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. You won't find any disagreement here with that statement. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, just out of interest, talking about kind of legacy. So after 2009, obviously, you know the. It was a disappointing result in the final, but incredible achievement to to kind of get that far. To what extent did the players kind of appreciate that moment? Because it's interesting, I was reading, I think it's a quote from Stephen Reid uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and he was talking about, I think after, I think after escaping relegation with West Brom on the final day, which was a great achievement, he sat in the dressing room and said, you know, retrospectively, he said that, he couldn't allow himself to enjoy it. He was just like, well, what's next? Um, because he was, that's the way that, yeah, he had kind of trained his his mind to kind of deal with those situations. Kind of going back to 2009, was there a sense after the final of, this is an incredible accomplishment? Did you kind of allow yourselves to kind of enjoy that moment? Um, on the pitch, on the day, everyone was in bits. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was, a moment of sadness and frustration and and players were in tears all over the place and so i don't in that moment in that moment it felt everyone felt the loss if you like and so we had that emotional outpouring and 
because it was it was such a powerful thing it was so big it was do you know what I mean it was huge and therefore there had to be some time for everybody to grieve um I think when we came back together again and we had another we had a friendly or we had something I was looking at my notes and and the things that I wrote where everyone's a bit flat everyone's a bit because it was a bit exhausting and and I suppose that's also the difference between national squads because then they they go back into their into their retrospective clubs and and they're sort of working in their clubs whereas um if it's a club side then everyone is all all the players if you like are still still in the building so you can kind of do it together so it becomes more fragmented i think as a as a as a national squad because you have to you, you're more left to your own devices to na- to navigate through that um, until you come back together again. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, you're talking about competitive sports people, so you know, lose, losing a final like that is is obviously going to affect affect the players in in the obvious way, I guess. Did Did you notice when you did, you know, when you came back from Finland, did the squad and the and the and the staff around the squad notice something that had changed nationally in terms of the interest in in the team and what they'd done at the tournament? Yeah. that must have had a positive, you know. You no, know, no, no. Once you dealt huge. with the and processed the loss, that must have been a very positive uh, um, result from that tournament. Uh, absolutely, it was huge, it, it, and and it was really, really important. And uh, and as I said, there there used to be a place where they put up the um, the press cuttings, you know, and and then some of the women players getting messages from really prominent male players was a really big thing as well. It's like, oh, they're noticing us. They're notice. You know, it's like that, that was important. I do remember when we, um, at the end, before we went back again, um, we had a kind of, um, giving out of our medals because on, on the pitch, only the, the winners get the medals, but actually we got medals as well. So we did it. Um, and, and I remember that being a really proud, you know, um, moment and, and actually, for other people who who were not recognised, obviously the players got their medals, but so the medals for individual support staff, for members of the team, you know, that that was a really important moment as well. I remember getting mine and it was, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, you're sort of part of this as well. And, and it's part of your achievement. And some of those things never get seen either. Um, but But all of the people who are working have created this, you know, Serena is the, the, the front of it, but all of those people around her have, have made something, um, special, have contributed to, to that, that process. So I think that that, that was the moment where we kind of acknowledged our achievements and we kind of, we kind of went, yes, look, we have done something special here. And we knew we'd done something special there, you know, and, and, and we have. And, and I think in a funny kind of way, now people are appreciating it almost more than they did at the time, which is which is a bit strange. But um, I think when you're hearing all the commentary, um, people, re- all of those players, because they all played in it, they're all referring back to 2009 with fondness. And people are like, oh, oh, what? They were actually in the final. Oh, well, hang on a minute. And, of course, now, now the rerun. I really wanted France to be in the final just because I just know how I just know how this is going to play out. It's just like England, Germany, really? Do we really have to do this again? But, um, you know, it is what it is. 
Yeah, the symmetry is quite compelling, isn't it? You can kind of you can kind of see why it's why it's kind of got you know got people got people talking. I, I, I suppose you know whatever the result on on Sunday, and obviously fingers crossed that it that it is an England England win. How do you do? You kind of sense that again, kind of with reference to two thousand and nine. There's been another slight kind of evolution of of kind of appreciation of the, the women's game. Obviously, it's come on a that that perception has come on a lot since since 2009 I think it's fair to say but I also think it's pretty fair to say there's there's still some way to go on that front I mean looking on as a fan now Misha do you you kind of get the sense that things have moved on again uh, a a bit absolutely I mean absolutely I think um before it was one of those weird things where people would be saying oh but the women aren't as good as the men and you kind of go yeah but they're not allowed to even train on the same pitches. You know, an eight-year-old boy in the academy, they have to train before the women do, you know, and they were part-timers and they were training at nine o'clock at night. And the perseverance and the dedication of those women, and, and maybe that's why they're all doing great things now, um, is, is, it was, it's ridiculous. You know, now the fact that, oh, women are actually allowed spaces to train, women can be professional players and then oh look the game suddenly is looking a lot better I mean duh um I I think people are appreciating the fact that that women can play football that they can be technically gifted players that they can be that they can be tactically astute that they can score incredible goals that happens because when you're allowed the space to develop those things without having to do everything else and without having to have another full-time job, you know, without having to worry about where you're, where you're going to get your money to pay your rent from. Um, that's freeing. And then you, you become able to focus on your sport. The, the same thing in terms of when we had world-class performance funding for athletes across all Olympic sports. Oh, hang on a minute. Suddenly we're doing really well. It's not rocket science. Um, so money Money gives you time. Time gives you the ability to develop your skills, to become an expert, to really explore what those things look like. And even, you know, on the telly now, I'm kind of watching that they're showing lots of little clips of really young girls playing. Um, You can't tell the difference between them and the boys. They're the same. It's like, you know, so so the future is, is, yes, it's moved on. And the fact that it's now a spectator sport It'd be interesting to see what kind of crowds the WSL gets, you know, next season. Um, you'd like to think that that people can also think that it's a it's got commercial value um, and, and grow it in in that sense. It's so interesting because one one of the things this is quite a, a, a strange thing to have noticed, but one of the things that I think has really shown how much the women's game has moved on is that a lot of the coverage of this tournament the expectation that the players are very, very good has been so ingrained now that actually people feel a lot more empowered to criticise them when they don't quite live up to the standards they expect to them. And that's actually like, I know that's, that's a negative uh-huh. thing in some ways, but, but actually, whereas in the past it was always like, oh, wow, I didn't know a female footballer could do that. Now it's like, oh, I expect them to be able to do that. And when they don't, I'm surprised that they can't. And, and in, in a weird way, that kind of shows where it's, where it's, how, how much it's moved on. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. absolutely agree because now it's just, they're just footballers. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. So just be a footballer. And that's so lovely, lovely to see that they can actually 
Um, you know, because football is football is a is a pretty universal game. Do you know what I mean? It's like literally anyone can play it. So how how this then gets built upon and how this then moves into the future is again is going to be really exciting to see, I think. I couldn't agree more with me, and that seems seems like a good place to 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 end today's episode actually. Um Misha, thanks so much for your time. Luke, um, likewise. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as as we did. Um, and it, as ever, it's brought to you in association with our partners, Sporting Bounce and the Set Pieces. We'll see you next time on the Football Psychology Show. Mm-hmm.